Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I get into all those highlights of all these different shows, I do want to make certain and make mention that I do have the review for AEW's uh, collision that happened last week, as well as AEW's Forbidden Door event that happened last Sunday up on my podcast uh, archive. If you did not listen to it this week, I suggest you to listen to it because I talk about Forbidden Door, how it was a good show, what I found was the best uh, match of that uh, show, and where I think some of the stories will be leading going into this week. But that's Forbidden Door. If you didn't listen to it, I suggest you go listen to it. Now, with that being out the way and covered, let's go into Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with the uh, Women's World Champion Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio being in the ring. And as usual, Dominic would get booed to the point that Rhea had to speak for him, saying that Cody's momentum has been dying. And at Money in the Bank, Dom is going to put Cody down. That's when Cody would come to the ring. Cody would talk about how Dom's cheap shots have been effective, but they are cowardly acts, something that a child would do. Cody would go so far to quote Cat in the Hat to prove that Dominic is a scared little boy. Dominic would get upset, leave the ring with Rhea by his side. Cody would try to get Dom back in the ring so they can go straight into their brawl, but that wouldn't happen. Cody would even give a free shot to Dom, and Dom would walk back to the ring, get on the apron, look at Cody, then hop back down, then walk directly to the back. So that sets up um, a situation later in the night because Dominic would go talk to Adam Pearce saying that Cody embarrassed him and he wants to have a match to prove that he is not a weak little boy and he has a perfect opponent in mind. And Pierce would ask, okay, who is it? And Rhea would whisper something to Dominic's ear and they would say, you have to see later. So we will get a match with Dominic going against a mystery opponent. But before we get to that, let's get to the first match that happened on Raw. Shinsuke Nakamura going against Ricochet. Bronson Reed would be at ringside for at least the beginning portion of the match because he would get tossed from the ringside by the referee whenever Ricochet and Nakamura would kick Bronson. Bronson looks like he's getting on the apron and he wants to get in the ring. The ref would stop him, send him to the back. So that's Bronson Reed for tonight. Uh, Ricochet, he would win the match by pinfall, hitting a shooting star press. So Ricochet has a win over Nakamura. Next up was Ronda Rousey with Shayna Baszler in her corner, going against Raquel Rodriguez with Lou Morgan in her corner. Ronda would win the match by pinfall using an armbar roll-up pin for the win. So this gives Ronda and Shayna some momentum as they go into their uh, women's tag team championship match against Raquel and Liv at Money in the Bank. Now, before we get into Seth Rollins coming to the ring, they will play a Finn Balor a video package and explains why Finn is going after Seth the way that he's been going after him. And what I mean by that is Finn's been basically demon time on Seth, constantly attacking him from behind, just brutalizing Seth's ribs. And Finn is doing all of this because, not because of the fact that he had to be stripped of the Universal title seven years ago, but it's because of the fact that after he got stripped of the title, Seth Rollins was the man that came out there, stared at him in his face and cackled and laughed 
about what he did to Finn, and he tried to just play it off like it was nothing. Finn took that seriously and personally, and he's been holding on to that uh, disrespect for years. So this is Finn's way of getting at Seth. So that's the reason why this version of Finn is so ruthless and just dirty by getting Seth any way that he can. Now, after that video package would play, the world champion Seth Rollins would come to the ring. Seth would first give props to Carmelo Hayes for being here. And you would get a, a screenshot of Carmelo being in the crowd. Seth would then turn his attention to Finn, talking about Finn jumping him last week, seeing that Finn tried to uh, turn his ribs into dust, but Finn didn't get the job done because Seth is still standing. So Seth would proceed to call Finn out to the ring, but Finn doesn't come out. Seth would say that his ribs are not 100%, but that's not going to stop him from showing up at Money in the Bank and retaining his world championship. Seth would then go into his I'm a revolutionary shtick, then notice Finn coming into the ring with a chair. Seth would beat Finn to the punch and start attacking him first. But once the action got outside of the ring, the advantage would go directly towards Finn when Finn starts throwing Seth into objects around the ring that affected Seth's ribs, like the steel steps and the commentary table, all that good stuff. Finn would then go to the timekeeper's area and grab a chair, but Carmelo Hayes would grab the chair from Finn, and this will allow Seth to clothesline Finn over the timekeeper area and make Finn retreat. And then it was announced that later in the night we would get Finn Balor going against Carmelo Hayes. Next up will be Tommaso Ciampa going against The Miz, but that match never happens because The Miz would attack Ciampa as he makes his way towards the ring. Miz would jump Ciampa from behind and start aiming all of his attacks at Ciampa's like, head and hip. Miz would suplex Ciampa into the barricade, then hit the skull crush from Anali. On Ciampa, this is Miz retaliation for Ciampa making his re-debut last week and attacking the Miz. All this is because Ciampa did not get any type of uh, talk or call or text from Miz when he was out those nine months. So that's the reason why Ciampa attacked Miz last week in Miz's open challenge. Now Miz just happens to just retort and this is his retort to Ciampa. Now it seems that like Ciampa and Miz are going into a feud. That's what it seems to me. Next up was Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in his corner going against a mystery opponent of their hand-picked selection, and it was Akira Tozawa. Dominic would win the match by pinfall thanks to Rhea distracting Akira when Akira had the advantage. Uh, Akira would go to the top turnbuckle, and he would still stare at Rhea. Dominic would take this time to knock Akira off the top turnbuckle, and then Dom would go to the top and hit a frog splash on Tozawa to win the match. Next up, Money in the Bank Summit with all the female competitors. The basic gist of this was that all of the competitors in the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match, they would talk about how they are going to win the Money in the Bank, except for Becky. Becky would just go straight for Trish and start attacking her. Then everyone starts brawling, and in the end, everyone except Becky would be outside of the ring. Becky would get a ladder, climb it up, grab the briefcase. So this could be some indication to what we could See at Money in the Bank with Becky probably winning and being Miss Money in the Bank. Now, next up was Gunther with Ludwig Kaiser in his corner going against Sami Zayn, who had Kevin Owens in his corner. This match all comes about because Sami is staking up for Riddle. Uh, Gunther, early in the night, they show a video package of Riddle like making a challenge towards 
Gunther for an Intercontinental Championship opportunity at Money in the Bank. Gunther would accept it, but uh, Ludwig and Gunther would attack Riddle at this time. So Sami Zayn is out here to get some retribution for his friend, Matt Riddle. So Gunther and Sami would have their match. Gunther would win by pinfall thanks to distraction and uh, interference from both Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci. When the referee was busy making sure Ludwig wouldn't enter the ring, Giovanni Vinci would get on the apron and hit Sammy in the throat with one of his crutches. This allowed Gunther to powerbomb Sammy for the win. After the match, Kevin Owens would get in the ring and attack Gunther and Ludwig. This would lead to Riddle running down to the ring and making the save. Riddle would knee uh, Giovanni Vinci in the face, take one of his crutches, and then start hitting both Ludwig and Gunther with it. Gunther would leave the ring, leaving Ludovic in the ring to eat a stunner from Kevin Owens. So, there you have it. We now have Money in the Bank at the kind of championship match. Good Gunther versus uh, Matt Riddle. And, again, I think that match is going to be a great one. And just knowing the way that Gunther's been targeting Matt Riddle's ankles, I can see that being the whole play. And Matt Riddle being a uh, MMA specialist, I can see him basically... Uh, finding holds to get at Gunther and try to injure him during that match as well. So I expect that match to be good at Money in the Bank. Next up, Finn Balor going against the NXT champion, Carmelo Hayes. Finn would win the match by pinfall by hitting the coup de grace for the win. This match was basically Carmelo Hayes' like come out party to people that have not been paying attention to NXT. I mean, they let Carmelo do everything in that match. They let him hit the fadeaway. They let him hit uh, the back uh ddt i mean they just really let carmelo just have his way with finn and finn was a professional he allowed this to go about and again finn won the match but this was really all about carmelo hayes to let people know who he is and how and how they need to um be tuning in to nxt to watch more of carmelo if you enjoyed what carmelo did with finn and i don't see how you couldn't because carmelo and finn they did great on raw now the main event, Cody Rhodes going against Damian Priest with uh, both Dominic and Rhea in Priest's corner. Cody would win the match by pinfall by hitting Crossroads for the win. After the match, Dom would hit Cody from behind, then leave the ring. And this would tie back to what Cody said at the beginning of the show. Cody's uh, perception of Dominic being a little boy, being a coward, because that's the only thing that Dominic would do. Just constantly attack Cody from behind, so it still continues it up. As this is now moving into Money in the Bank, where Cody will be going against Dom, and this is basically Cody's first time going against Dominic, and Dominic can uh, no longer run. He has to face the music when he faces Cody at Money in the Bank. So that's how Raw will end, and that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now moving over to NXT. This is their second week of their NXT Gold Rush Special. So we will start off with NXT Women's Champion, Tiffany Stratton defending her championship against Thea Hale. And Thea would have Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey and Duke Hudson in her corner for this match. Tiffany would retain her championship by pinfall thanks to the distraction outside of the ring. Thea would have Tiffany locked in the Kimura lock. And Tiffany would go to try to grab the bottom rope, but Drew Gulak would pull it away from her. The ref would see it and start chastising Drew and Charlie. Duke would intervene and question what are they doing. Thea will release a hold and try to see what's going on. This will allow Tiffany to go for a rolling clothesline on Thea, but Thea would reverse it and lock in the Kimura yet again. 
Now, Tiffany is tapping out, and the referee doesn't see it, because the referee is still dealing with all the nonsense outside of the ring. Thea will let go of the hold, go over to tell the referee that Tiffany tapped out. Tiffany will take this time to then roll up Thea Hale for a roll-up win, and that's the reason how uh, Tiffany would retain her NXT Women's Championship. Solid match between Tiffany and Thea. Um, the story wasn't about Tiffany. The, Thea, the story more was about Thea Hale and her work ethic with um, Charlie and Drew Gulag. That's what this whole thing was about. Every time she was always out there wrestling and you saw Drew and Charlie around, that's what the whole story was about and that's what it was here. Yeah, sure, Tiffany had her match with Thea and this was Thea's first chance, but Thea's going to have more um, down the line and I don't think nobody thought Tiffany was going to lose it here. So for Tiffany to retain it, it was already a foregone con, uh, conclusion. Now, after the match, you will see Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey chastise Thea about her loss. Duke will come in and tell them to leave her alone. Duke would then get jumped by Drew and Charlie until Andre Chase would make his return and run down to the ring to save Duke. Now, Andre Chase and Duke would send Charlie Dempsey and Drew Gulak retreating to the back. And now it seems we have Chase U all together again. Theo was happy to see Andre Chase. Duke was happy to see Andre. And it's good. Chase U is back to its original form. And I just want to see what's going to happen next week with all five of these individuals. Now, next matchup was the NXT Tag Team Championship match. Gallus going against Malik Blade and Idris Anafe. Uh, Andrew Garza and Humberto Correa will be watching from the NXT Perch. And Gallus would retain their championships by pinfall, thanks in part to Stax uh, interfering. When Mark Coffey and Idris Anafe were fighting outside of the ring, Stax would come out and wait until Mark turned around to look in his direction. Once Mark did so, Stax would run towards him, looking to uppercut him. But Mark would move out of the way, and Stax would hit Idris. Mark would get in the ring, and Stax would throw Idris into the ring. This would see Gallus hit their tag finish, which is an airplane spin running knee combination for the win. And Gallus retained their uh, NXT Tag Team Championships, and it was a confusion of why did Stax do this? Did Stax mean to help out Gallus? Was it a misdirection? What's going on? And our answers to the question will be uh, revealed later. Because you will see Joe Coffey go to meet up with Tony D'Angelo as Tony is still in jail. Tony will be surprised to see Joe because last week Stax kidnapped Joe Coffey and put him in the back of a car trunk. And he just thought that Stax would have taken care of Joe. Joe would tell Tony that not everything is what it seems. Tony wouldn't understand what Joe meant. And Joe would play an audio of Stax talking to Joe Coffey last week. And in the message, Stax would tell Joe that he needs him to lay out, well, lay low for one week, and things will turn out fine for the Gallus boys. Joe would ask Stax, why are you telling me this? Why are you doing this? And Stax will reply with that he's tired of being the underboss, and he states that there's a new Don running the streaks. So in short, Stax was the one who ratted on Tony. At least that's what it sounds like in the message here. And that's the only way that I can see it. Because who else would it be? You don't have nobody else. Stax is the only person that seemed like he would gain anything from Tony being in jail. So it makes sense. So Stax was the one to rat on Tony. So now whenever Tony comes out and he gets that uh, surprise 
return back to NXT because they're going to run with Stax being the guy, being the man to run the streaks and probably having like a back pocket with Gallus whenever he calls Gallus, they'll probably run out to do his dirty work for him. Um, I would like to see who Tony's going to have on his side whenever that comes about because you know there's got to be some type of faction warfare between Tony and Stax. You know there's got to be something that is bound to happen with Stax group and Tony when he comes out. So I would like to know who's going to be on Tony's side, but we still got weeks and probably even a month until they actually get Tony back on NXT television in the ring. So until then, Stax is now with Gallus by proxy. So that's where we're at with this right now. Now, next up was Schism's family meeting in the middle of the ring. James Drake will talk about how Joe Gacy's whole message was building each other up, but it seems that him and Zach Gibson have pulled their part and Joe hasn't. Joe Gacy would tell James that isn't true because when he brought uh, the Grizzly Young Veterans into his way of thinking last year, they aren't the same guys today. Joe would mention how last year James Drake couldn't even get a word out because of his partner would be talking all the time. Then you get Zach Gibson talking. Zach would admit to Joe that he is right. When they got with Joe, they were at the low point in their life and that, you know what, they followed his message, but Joe's message has changed so many times that it's confusing and they don't even know if Joe even understands what his message is. Joe would again question why are they here if they feel that they are under a dictatorship. And then the Diamond Mind will come out and say that they are tired of the whole schism, dyad drama, and wants them to hurry up and implode so they can leave since they don't want to be here. And he's referring to uh, the dyad, or better known as the Grizzly Young Veterans, referring to their tweets that he did months ago. Joe Gacy would say that the Diamond Mind are a bigger cancer than the schism in NXT. So a challenge will be thrown out for a tag match next week between the Dyad and the Diamond And the losers will leave NXT. You will see the Grizzly Young Veterans, or if you want to call them the Dyad, looking at Joe Gacy with confusion in their face because they don't like that Joe's talking for them. And once the match is made official, we'll get a backstage uh, segment between the Grizzly Young Veterans and Ava Rain, and you just see both of them just upset again. It's not that the match is happening, it's that Joe Gacy spoke for them, and they're hoping that Joe Gacy has a plan, because if Joe Gacy doesn't have a plan, they said they'll have one. So next week, there's going to be some drama between the Dyad, Grizzly Young Veterans, and Joe Gacy. That's going to be a fact, but the big question worry is, who's going to win? Are the Grizzly Young Veterans going to win and the Diamond Mind uh, going to leave? Because as I said before, constantly, the Creed Brothers, they've done everything they could do in NXT. They've done it all. There's no more for them to do. They already were tag team champions. They already won the Dusty Tag Team Classic. There's no other tag teams for them technically to go against that will make any difference for them. Because at everybody's point, when you see the Creed Brothers up there, they're like the top cream of the crop of the tag teams down there in NXT, and there's nothing more for them to prove. So the only right thing for them to do is to go off to the main roster. So we could get that, or next week we could see the Dyad lose, and they either wait home until their contract's up, or they go up to the main roster, experience some time on the main roster, 
until some other report comes out and say that the diet are sticking with WWE or whatever the case may have you. But if that doesn't happen, the diet loses and they wait home until the contract run out. Well, then that'll just be the case. So we got a couple scenarios that we could play with next week on NXT, but that's next week. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Next matchup, the NXT Heritage Cup between the champion Nathan Fraser, who will have Alyssa uh, Leon in his corner, as Dragon Lee will have Valentina Forez in his. Nathan would win the first fall in the second round when Dragon Lee would hit a Super Huron off the top turnbuckles, and Nathan would power it over into a roll-up. That's how Nathan would win the first fall. Dragon Lee would win the second fall in the fourth round with a roll-up powerbomb. And then Nathan would win the third fall in the fifth and final round with a Hurricane with one second to spare. I will tell you this right now. This was one of the matches of the night for NXT. The Heritage Cup is something that, again, I'm not so used to. I don't think a lot of American fans are used to. They're trying to make it something of importance to the American fans, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate how we're getting more Heritage Cup matches over and over so we all can get used to the rules and all that good stuff. And I feel that this match right here was a good example of why the Heritage Cup is important and the stipulations and the rules for the Heritage Cup is important. Because Nathan Frazier, he will win the second fall with the first... uh, Not second fall, he will win the first fall in the second round. Bong. Dragon Lee, he will get his fall in the fourth round. And then he comes down to the fifth and final round, three minutes... Both of them just slinging and throwing everything they had at one each other. And then it comes down to the last, what, 10 seconds, and you get Nathan Frazier doing it her and Karana. Dragon Lee will reverse out of it. And then you see Nathan Frazier reverse back onto Dragon Lee and get him with the pin. And he's literally down to the last second, and the referee would slap his hand to the map for the three count. And it would say one more second there, and it would have been a draw if he didn't. It was important. The whole match was great. I will highly suggest you go check out this match. Seriously, Nathan Frazier versus Dragon Lee. They did everything in their power to make it feel important. And the Heritage Cup is starting to feel important with these guys putting on classical uh, matches the way they are doing it. Especially at the high level that these guys are doing it. It makes you feel that Black and Gold NXT was here for that match. And I feel that it was. Now, here's the interesting part. Axiom will come out in the middle of the match, and he'll just be standing there watching it. So you can tell Axiom wants a piece of that Heritage Cup. So you can basically say that Axiom's going to be challenging Nathan Frazier next for that cup. But again, the match hasn't been made official, but you can tell it's coming. Now, next match up, Gigi Dolan going against Keanu James. Gigi would win the match by pinfall by hitting a crucifix pin for the win. After the match, Kiana James would hit Gigi in the back with her purse. Inside of her purse would be two paint containers. She'll pull the paint containers out, pour the paint on top of Gigi Dolan, and that's it. So we got the business girl going against the misfit, and that's what we have here. Kiana is basically going to reap what she sows more than likely towards the end of this rivalry that her and Gigi are having right now. So I can see this ending in some type of hardcore match, if I'm going to be honest. And then Gigi will get some retribution by pouring buckets of paint on top of uh, Kiana. But that's how I see it ending. But for right now, we're just at phase one of this rivalry between both of these ladies. Now we go to the main event, the NXT Championship. Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Baron Corbin. And it's not Happy Corbin. It's not Bum-Ass Corbin. It's not 
authority figure Corbin. No, he went back to NXT Lone Wolf era Baron Corbin with the whole entrance music, the jacket. I like that variation of Baron Corbin the absolute most because he came in and did what he had to do and he was no-nonsense. That version of Baron Corbin will always stand at the top of the list for Baron Corbin personas, but that just wasn't it. That would not be able to slay the champion, Carmelo Hayes, as Carmelo would retain his championship when Baron would uh, be on the ring apron, look to chokeslam Carmelo out of the ring. Melo would reverse it, and he would drop Baron's neck on the top rope. Melo would then take the opportunity to hit a DDT on the ring apron, throw Baron back into the ring, and hit nothing but net for the win to retain his NXT championship. This was another match of the night for NXT. You had the Heritage Cup, which was great, as I've already told you. You need to go watch that. And I say you need to go watch this one, too. Because Baron Corbin being here, it proved that Baron Corbin can't have a good match when he has the right competitors right beside him. He had a good match with Ilya a couple weeks ago, and he had a good match here with Carmelo. And if I'm going to be honest, Corbin has not had a good match in my eyes on the main roster in such a long time. And I'll say the probably the last good, good match that you would say that Baron Corbin had was him, Dolph, and AJ in a triple threat match when SmackDown was freshly minted at SmackDown Live. That was like 2016. Um, Baron here, he was doing everything in his power that he could do to win against Carmelo. He was doing the power game. He was doing the striking. He was doing everything, but Melo is just resilient. Melo is that guy. Melo is the face of NXT, and that was what the match showed. Even after taking all the brutality, all of the beatings, Melo was still able to come back to win and retain his NXT championship. Not in a uh, chump-style way. No, he did it in a way that, yeah, it makes sense for Melo. Melo is that guy. He has the speed, and he has the agility to do what he can do, and he was pulling all the stops the way that he does. He did the fadeaway, he did the springboard back DDT, and he did all of his tricks on Corbin. And again, just to show that he can stand with People from the main roster that wants to come down to NXT, that's what Melo's all about. And he was actually able to prove it off yet again with Baron. So Baron's name is another one that gets added to uh, the jerseys that get hanged on the rafters. So that's what happened. Melo is still your NXT champion. And before NXT would go off, we would go backstage and we would see the camera pointed at Shawn Michaels' office. And you would hear Baron, not Baron, Braun, Breaker talking and he says i've beaten everyone here you can't control me and he would just storm out of sean's office and the cameraman would ask braun what was that all about braun would say shut up get out of my face you guys will find out next week so i can expect braun more than likely probably wanting to leave the nxt uh show and probably be going out to the main roster but we'll have to wait and see because he still has unfinished business with Ilya dragon off so again we'll have to wait and see what's up with that but with that, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to AEW Dynamite. A couple things to note going into Dynamite here. Um, for one, Brian Danielson, he will be out for some time because at Forbidden Door, he broke his arm in his match with Okada. So right now, there is no time on how long he will be out. So Brian will be out, and so we will be missing one important key element as we go into something that was mentioned on Dynamite, and I'll get to that. And the second thing would be, 
Tony Khan would announce on Twitter that Britt Baker fell ill and her match with Ruby Soho, which was supposed to take place on Dynamite this week, will happen next week. But Ruby would still have a match. Now, with that out of the way, we would get to Dynamite. First match of the night would be John Moxley with Claudio Castagnoli and Willie Yuta in his corner. Going against Tomohiro Ishii, Eddie Kingston would come down to the ring mid-match to make sure that the Blackpool Comic Club did not interfere. Uh, Moxley would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Death Rider, which is a high angle of the paradigm shift on Ishii to win the match. Solid straight match to open up Dynamite. The story of this match was literally when Eddie came out. You saw Eddie just staring at Claudio and Claudio just staring at Eddie. And Eddie from time to time will look at the match. But Claudio, he just stuck his eyes completely on Eddie. He didn't move him or nothing. He just kept him right on Eddie Kingston. Yuta was the guy to like look at the match. But Claudio just kept his eyes on Kingston, and that was a real funny visual because you know how much hatred Eddie has for Claudio and Claudio has for Eddie, so it just made for a funny sight to see, but again, solid match for uh, Tomohiro Ishii and John Moxley. After the match, Kingston would be on the ramp. He'll clap it up for Mox because Mox won the match fair and square. Moxley will leave the ring. He'll brush by Kingston. Kingston will yell at Mox. You don't need them. You won the match by yourself. And then you would see Mox yell at Kingston, then just walk to the back. Kingston would follow him. We would go to commercial, and when we come back from commercial, you would see Moxley's wife, Renee Paquette, is arguing with John Moxley, and Blackpool is behind them. And Kingston would walk up on Mox and again preach to Mox that he saved Mox from the Bucks, kicking him in the head at the forbidden door. And he would say that he's the only person that could beat him up, and he still is wondering why Mox is hanging around Claudio, who Kingston is calling a scumbag. Mox and Kingston would shout over each other. Renee would try to get in between them. Mox would walk away. Renee would tell Eddie that he needs to fix this because she is sick of this. So we have this problem here. Again, it's the story of Eddie Kingston, Moxley. They've been friends for so long. And Eddie just doesn't like the fact that Mox has been teaming with Claudio and it started literally a year ago, but here we are a year later, and we're still going into this, and we're still having this exact same problem. Now, after this, we have a trios match. The AEW International Champion, Arch Cassidy, teaming up with the AAA Mega Champion, Vinkingo and Keith Lee, going against Jericho Appreciation Society members, Daniel Garcia, and 2.0. Arch Cassidy, Vinkingo and Keith Lee would win the match by pinfall, when Lee would hit Matt Menard with Big Bang Catastrophe for the win. Solid trios match here. Uh, there was a spot here that went wrong, but they had to fix it. It was towards the end when Vinkingo uh, leaked out of the top rope, and Keith Lee was supposed to grab him and hold him up in a powerbomb-style position, but it didn't go that way. Uh, Vinkingo fell onto Keith, and both men would be down on the ground. So Keith would have to improvise, and he would have to get up, and once Vinkingo got up, he would get Vinkingo in a powerbomb, and he would just start swinging Vinkingo at 2.0, which ultimately was set up for the end. So we had that here. It was great uh, improving style from those guys. And again, I'm going to constantly sing the praise of Keith Lee. Keith Lee needs to be on AEW Dynamite or Collision every single week because he has an enormous amount of talent. Him and Swerve, I will constantly sing both of their praises, and to be factual about it, 
the funny thing about it is both of them, they're going to be on Dynamite again. Next week, they'll be teaming up as partners in this whole AEW World uh, Tag Team, like, random drawing tournament as they will be facing off against Orange Cassidy and Darby Allin next week. So I'm glad we still get to see them on TV, but with Swerve and Lee both having their uh, problems with each other, it's just going to make for interesting bedfellows, even though they are former AEW Tag Team Champions. Now, next match up was another trios match. It's the Dark Order's Evil Uno, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver going against the Young Bucks and Hangman Page. This match comes about because earlier in the night, we would get a backstage uh, segment, and you see the Young Bucks and Hangman, they talk about they're opening up a open invitation trios challenge to any team. Dark Order will walk up on Hangman, and they have a problem with Hangman just, like, completely ignoring them ever since he decided to go back with the Young Bucks. Hangman tries to say that's not the case. That's not what he did. But we all see it. Hangman hasn't been there for Dark Order, so that's what they have a problem with. They end up deciding to take up the open challenge. And the story for this trios match was that Hangman, at first, he didn't want to participate in the match. The Young Bucks, they were all for it. And you will see members of the Dark Order try to get Hangman into the match, even to the point that you see Uno, Silver, and Reynolds, anytime they can get the opportunity to attack Hangman, they would do it. They would just attack Hangman, and at one point, Uno would slap the taste out of Hangman's mouth, so that would really light the fire in Hangman for him to actually participate in the match, and when he did, it became a good uh, trios match. But in the end, Hangman and the Bucks would win the match when the Bucks would hit a BTE trigger and then the Hangman would hit a Buckshot Lariat on John Silver to win the match. Now after it, Hangman and the Bucks would try to revive John. Evil Uno and Alex would get in, push them off of John Silver. This would lead to the Blackpool Combat Club coming in the ring behind everybody and hitting uh, the Elite with chairs. The Dark Order would see it. And you would just get this stare down between the Dark Order and the Blackpool Combat Club. And the Dark Order would leave. You would hear Uno say that you chose your friends. You chose your side. So the Dark Order is now through with Hangman Page. And you would see Eddie Kingston run down to the ring. He would rush in and immediately eat a double stomp to the back from Claudio Castagnoli. Again, those two, they have beef, they have problems. But... Just the way that Claudio stomped on Eddie's back, I mean, as soon as Eddie slid into the ring, Claudio, without hesitation, just stomped on Kingston's back. And I found it a little bit hilarious, because when you have that much hatred towards someone, you want to put them out immediately, and that's what Claudio tried to do here with uh, Kingston. Uh, Konosuke Takeshita will come down to the ring. He'll help out the Blackpool Combat Club. John Moxley will get a mic. He wouldn't look at Eddie as Eddie's getting beaten up. Mox would say that it's time to end this thing, and he would announce on July 19th, Blood and Guts. So we're going to have Blackpool Combat Club and more than likely Konosuke Dikeshita and one more other guy going against uh, the Elite, Kingston, and probably one more other person as well because you got to have at least five or six individuals to participate in Blood and Guts. So it's going to be interesting to note who's going to be teaming up with the Elite whenever this stuff comes to fruition, besides Eddie Kingston, to be honest. But, again, we'll have to wait and see with that. Now, next up, Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy would come out here, and he would immediately tell production to shut his music. I mean, Jungle Boy would go directly into being a Hollywood-esque douchebag. 
and he would talk about why he turned on Hook, and it's because the people turned on him. Jungle Boy would start playing the martyr, oh, woe is me. Uh, Jungle Boy would say that Hook is a second-generational guy and that he's holding a championship and Jungle Boy is jealous. Uh, that's basically where this all stems from. People love Hook. People don't love Jungle Boy anymore. Jungle Boy has his jealous streak. Jungle Boy will say that Jungle Hook was special because of him and that Hook was just lucky to have stood beside him. Uh, Jungle Boy would mention that even though the FTW Championship isn't an official recognized championship, he still plans on taking it because it means so much to Hook and to his family. And when he said his family, he looked towards Taz, who's on commentary. Jungle Boy would say that when he gets his hands on Hook, he's going to beat the, and as soon as he got the part, Jungle Boys would hear Hook's music and Hook would run down to the ring. Jungle Boy would quickly leave the ring, leap over the barricade, run into the crowd, and into the back. Hook would immediately follow after Jungle Boy, and we would get a camera shot of Jungle Boy backstage, like, throwing down a trash can to make sure Hook couldn't get to him, but Hook was so much close on Jungle Boy that when Hook was just about to grab Jungle Boy, you would see Jungle Boy, like, literally leap into his car, and he would tell his driver to quickly pull off, and that's what he did, and the car would quickly pull away. So we're off and ready with the rivalry between Jungle Boy and Hook, and it's going to be over the FTW Championship. And for someone that doesn't like speaking that much on the camera, uh, Jungle Boy, he did well in his first promo as a bad guy. He did well. For him, he constantly said that he didn't like talking. That was never ever his thing. But for him to be a bad guy now, I'm glad that he's starting to do this. And I hope he does more. And I hope that he uh, gets more advice from other professional like bad guys to really improve his douchebaggeriness. Now, after this, we have Ruby Soho with the Outcast in her corner going against Alexia Nicole. Ruby would win the match by submission by locking in the lockjaw, basically to mock Britt Baker, who she was supposed to go against on this episode of Dynamite. Um, after the match, the outcast would come in the ring, spray paint an L on Nicole. After that, Ruby would get a mic and start trash-talking Britt Baker, saying that next week she's going to beat Britt, and Britt will not be a two-time Owen Hart Cup tournament winner. So that was the gist of that promo. Now we're off to our main event. Tornado tag uh, match between Darby Allen and Sting going against Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho's alternate ego, the Painmaker. Sting and Darby would win the match by submission when Sting would be able to counter Chris Jericho going for a Hurricanrana and turning into the Scorpion Deathlock, and Chris Jericho would tap out. This was a crazy way to end Dynamite. You have two legends, Sting and Chris Jericho, teaming up with their protégés. Uh, Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara in a Texas uh, tornado-style deathmatch here. And let me say this. Sting should not be jumping off of anything. Sting should do a regular stinger splash. That's about the only thing where he should be leaping, but he should not be jumping. And I'll make this specific. If you guys did not see the tornado tag match, there was a spot where Sammy Guevara's laying on a table, and he has another table behind him. So there's two tables here. Sammy's on the first table. Darby would set up a ladder in the ring, like close to the ropes, and you see him start climbing it. Sting will start deciding to climb up the other end of the ladder, and you just see Sting and Darby talk on the top of the ladder, and Sting says that he wants to do this. So, 
Darby says, all right. So Darby gets down. Sting looks at uh, Sammy, and Sting would jump off the ladder. Thank God he crashed through Sammy in the first table, but it looked like Sting's chin, like, clipped the second table. And I don't understand why Sting puts himself in these situations. I don't. I'm just not understanding it. But again, this is Sting. He does what he wants. He is literally one out of like the whole of an equation or he's the anomaly for why you think you shouldn't be doing this at an old age, but he's going to do it. And I think that's a little bit of Darby Allen rubbing off on Sting because Darby's willing to put his body through anything just to make the match what it needs to be, at least in his eyes. And it seems that's just what happened here with Sting. Sting jumped off and he did it here. Again, I would not advise someone of Sting's like, caliber to do it but hey congratulations to sting for pulling it off um solid tornado tag match the ending was real poetic you had both of the young guys taken out at this moment sting already took out sammy uh darby got taken out by chris jericho when chris would hit him with uh the judas effect and darby would roll out of the ring now you have just sting and chris jericho left the two vets and those two would uh, duel it out, but Sting would get the upper hand by making Chris tap out to the Scorpion Deathlock. Um, I liked it. It was cool. I liked the way that they do and handle the legends over there in AEW. If only WWE can uh, take some notes from that, that'd be great. But time will tell with WWE, but AEW, I gotta give them props for always handling Sting with not gonna say kick gloves, because <laughs> There's no way you handle this thing with King Gloves in this match, but they do right by Sting. And I'm glad that they're doing that. So, yeah, Dynamite's ending. Sting beats Chris Jericho with the Scorpion Deathlock. Now, with that all being said, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving over to Impact Wrestling, we will start off with an X Division Championship match. Champion Chris Sabin going against Trey Miguel. Chris Sabin would win the match by disqualification when Chris had Trey Miguel up for the Cradle Shock. But a returning Zachary Wentz, formerly known as Nash Carter in WWE, will come into the ring and save Trey. He will pull Trey off of Chris's shoulder, then hit Chris with a high knee strike that will make the referee call for the bell. After the match, you will see Trey Miguel and Zachary Wentz look at one another. They will do their rascal hand sign to each other, then hug each other. Um, then they will stomp on Chris Saban until the world champion Alex Shelley would run down to the ring to save his partner. Zachary and Trey will leave the ring. And now it seems we have the Rascals back in Impact Wrestling. Well, at least two-thirds of the Rascals. Uh, Desmond Xavier, or better known as Wesley in WWE. He's still off in WWE. But it was good to see Zachary Wentz here. I think a couple months ago, I said that Trey Miguel needs to have Zachary Wentz with him. He needs to have Zachary Wentz and also, uh, God, Myron Reed, so Trey can have his own faction in Impact Wrestling. But it seems we might be itching there closely because now we have Zachary Wentz, who I'm glad to be seeing back on uh, television again. He's back in Impact, and hopefully Impact will get the memo to bring in Myron Reed to uh, make a new Rascals a serious Rascals. And it seems that's the route that we're going here with this time of the Rascals now being more serious because now they're trying to take over Impact. So I'm glad to see Zachary Wentz here, and it was a great signing on uh, Impact's behalf if he is signed back with Impact. Hopefully he is. 
Now, next up will be Trinity going against Jay Vidal with Savannah Evans and Giselle Shaw in his corner. This is an intergender match. The knockout champion, Deanna Peraza, will be on commentary to watch this match. Trinity would win the match by submission by locking in Starstruck after hitting an in-ring pile driver. Um, after the match, Giselle and Savannah would attack Trinity. Deanna Peraza will leave the table, and it looks like she's about to get in the ring, but she doesn't at first. She just walks around, allows Giselle and Savannah to continue to attack Trinity, and she will observe for a little bit. I'll give it a minute or two, and then she'll finally get in the ring and actually make the save. Uh, Trinity and Deanna would take care of Savannah and Giselle, making them retreat. Then you'll get this nice little stare down of Trinity looking at Deanna, Deanna looking at Trinity, and this is to build up more momentum as they are going into their uh, championship fight, well, match against one another at Slammiversary. Now, next up, a debuting Leo Rush going against Jack Price. Leo Rush would win the match by pinfall, hitting Final Hour, which is a frog splash on Jack Price to win the match. I'm glad to see Leo Rush here. The last time I saw Leo Rush was New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year when he got his face all busted open. So I'm glad Leo's uh, face healed up nicely. It looked like nothing ever happened to him. But I'm glad Leo's back on television. Another guy that I feel should be on television week weekly. He just hasn't been. He's one of those guys that I promise you, dude. He was in WWE, being managed, well, managing Bobby. He was a great mouthpiece and even an annoying mouthpiece that people hated, but it made the package of him and Bobby work together so much. Then when he went to NXT, he started doing his thing. Then he uh, got released or he wanted to be out of WWE, wanted to too. Goes away, goes to MLW during the pandemic, do his thing over there. Then he gets signed to AEW. He's there for a brief, like, cup of coffee. Then he's out of that. Now he's in New Japan. He does what he wants. Now he's over at Impact. I mean, he's a guy that just floats everywhere, and I appreciate that for a guy like Leah Rush because he needs to be on television. He's a guy that needs to be on TV because he's so young. He still has a lot of speed, and he can make someone feel important. He is one of those guys. So I'm glad to see Leo on Impact, and this would not be the last time we would see Leo on that episode of Impact Wrestling. Now next up, Kylie King with Taylor Wilde in her corner going against Masha Slamovich. Masha would win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to Killer Kelly coming out. Killer Kelly would take out Taylor Wilde when Taylor would get herself involved. Killer Kelly would lock in the Killer Clutch on Wilde with chains that she brought down to the ring. This would distract Kylan King because she's trying to go over to save her friend, but this will allow Masha to hit the snowplow on Kylan King to win the match. Now, after the match, you get this moment between Masha and Killer Kelly. Killer Kelly came out to repay the favor that Masha did for her last week, and now you see Killer Kelly like having the dog. Well, she makes the chain technically into a dog collar. She has a chain and she has a like hook, and then she hooks it up around her neck, and Masha will look at Kelly, and then she will grab the other end of that chain, and she will do the exact same thing, so now they're both just tethered to one another with that chain, and it looks like they're a tag team, so you can expect Masha and Killer Kelly to go after uh, Kylan King and Taylor Wilde for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships in the future. Now, after this, we will have Yuya Yuromura going against Kenny King with Sheldon Jean in his corner. 
Kenny King would win the match by pinfall, hitting the Royal Flush for the win. After the match, this is where it gets interesting because the Impact Digital Media Champion Joe Hendry would come out on the entrance stage and repay Kenny King for interrupting him last week. Joe would do his usual shtick by creating a music video for his rivals that he's going against at the time, and right now it's Kenny King's time. And the theme for this music video is saying that the most success that Kenny King had in his whole entire wrestling career wasn't because he was a wrestler. Oh no, it's because he was a male stripper back in 2013. And to be more specific, Kenny King was a part of the Las Vegas uh, Chippendales in 2013. So that's what Joe Hendry was referring here. The whole crowd would get a kick out of it. He would post up like Kenny King uh, old photos on the music video. People had a blast seeing it. Kenny King, he got frustrated and... That's just Joe Hendry whole stick. He's trying to humiliate anybody that he's going against with his music videos, and he was able to accomplish that with Kenny King's music video here. So again, we're building towards Kenny King going against Joe Hendry for the Impact Digital Media Championship, but it has not been announced yet, but more than likely you can expect that more than likely at Slammiversary. Now on to our main event segment here. Nick Aldis, he would come down to the ring to explain why he attacked Alex Shelley a couple weeks ago. Nick will start off by calling out Alex to the ring so he can explain it to his face. Alex Shelley will come towards the ring. And Alex, upset, understandably, Nick would tell Alex that he needs to stay outside of the ring because Alex created an unsafe working environment last week when he attacked Jimmy Jacobs backstage because Jimmy Jacobs just was the middleman relaying a message and Nick Aldis wasn't going to be there last week. Alex attacked him, so Nick wants to have Alex sit in the crowd with the people since one, he represents the people, but two, he just wants to be safe. Alex will play into the games with Nick. He will go out, pull out a chair, sit in the crowd while Nick explained why he attacked Alex a couple weeks ago. And it's all because Nick feels that Alex tried to embarrass him in their 10 man tag. When Chris Saban was getting beat up in the 10 man tag, Nick would say that, he was on the uh, apron, ready for the handout to be tagged in. But instead of Chris tagging him in, he tagged in Alex Shelley. And that's where Nick starts to fester, saying that uh, Chris Saban and Alex Shelley have always had the red carpet pulled out for them in Impact. They're not these rebellious, uh, revolutionary guys that they are claiming to be. And if they are rebellious, if they are revolutionary, well, then that part is gone because now they're part of the uh, gatekeepers because now they got a seat at the table and they've been trying to keep someone like Nick out of this whole thing. And it's basically old guy mentality versus the new school mentality. Nick Aldis, he's preyed by the old school wrestlers, Terry Fong, Carly Race, Ric Flair, while Alex Shelley, he's praised by the new school guys because Alex Shelley paved the way for the new school wrestling way. Alex would hear all that and he would tell Nick to shut up and Nick would tell Alex to shut up because this is his time to talk. Alex would say, no, I'm not going to shut up. You need to shut up. And now you would just get Alex moving out of the crowd, moving towards the ring. Nick will leave the ring. And now you just get a uh, brawl between Alex Shelley and Nick Aldis around the ring. At first, Alex has the advantage until Nick, well, overpowers Alex and starts getting him in the ring. He beats up on Alex Shelley. 
Nick would then pick up the Impact World Championship, and he's looking to hit Alex with it, but then you see Chris Saban return to favor for Alex, like Alex did earlier in the night when he saved Chris. And Chris comes down, Nick would leave the ring, he gets on the ramp, and he's starting to walk towards the back before he gets all the way back there. You would see Leo Rush just come in the ring, and he would blindside Chris Saban. Nick would see this, he'll turn around, walk back into the ring, he starts beating up on Alex Shelley some more. Chris Saban starts getting beat up by Leo Rush. And you will see Nick Aldis grab the World Championship and hit Alex Shelley with it. Leo will grab the x Division Championship and hit Chris Saban with it. And in Impact, we would see Nick Aldis holding up the World Championship, Leo holding up the x Division Championship, and there you have it. So this tells you everybody's plan. As you already know, Nick is going against Alex Shelley for the Impact World Championship, so he just gives... Uh, Nick the level up on Alex as they move in towards uh, Slammiversary and now you have Leo Rush who's now in Impact he is aiming for the Exhibition Championship more than likely they'll have a match at Slammiversary for the Exhibition Championship so that's what I think is going to happen but we'll have to wait till next week to see if that gets officially made announced so with that that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to SmackDown. The first thing to note, SmackDown would open up with a rest in peace graphic to Draws. He was a former NFL uh, football player, then transitioned over into a WWF wrestler. He was known for being around LOD in their late 90s, uh, well, run into WWF. But more famously, he's known for being paralyzed in a match with D'Lo Brown. And Draws has said this multiple times before he passed away, that it was a freak accident. D'Lo has said it was a freak accident. Those two were cool. And they remain cool to the end of Draws' life. So I just want to say that. And I do want to say rest in peace to Draws. Now, with that out of the way, we will start off with the undisputed tag team championship match between the teams of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the champions, going against the challengers, pretty deadly. KO and Sami would retain their championships by pinfall, with Kevin Owens hitting Elton Prince with a stunner, and Sami hitting an aluva kick on Kit Wilson for the win. Solid tag match to open up the show in England. The crowd liked uh, KO and Sami. I was surprised I didn't hear a lot of pretty deadly chants in England. If you watch back the episode and you just watch that match alone, you didn't hear a lot of pretty deadly uh, chants, which was weird because pretty deadly's from England. I you would have guessed they were they were gonna get like home field advantage, but nope. Kevin Owens and Sammy they got home field advantage, and Kevin Owens towards the end of the match he was like holding on to one of his feet, and I don't know if he got injured. During the match or not, hopefully he just probably sprained his foot or something, but he took off his boot like when the match was over. You saw him hold up the championships with one boot on, another boot not on. So, again, I don't know at this moment if he's injured or not. Hopefully he's not, so that's what I'm going with. Um, After this, we have Austin Theory, the U.S. champion, going against Ridge Holland. Austin Theory would win the match by pinfall. When Theory was outside of the ring, Theory would pull... Ridge's arm, and that would yank Ridge's neck into the top rope. Remember, Ridge got uh, small spiked by Sol Sokoa last week, so Ridge is still dealing with the effects of that. So Ridge will be holding his throat. Theory would then execute a rolling dropkick onto Ridge and cover Ridge for the win. 
After the match, Theory would attack Ridge some more until Sheamus ran down to the ring. Sheamus would look to hit Theory with a bro kick, but Theory would roll out of the ring. And this was set up for a United States Championship match between Sheamus and Austin Theory next week at Madison Square Garden on SmackDown. Now next up, Shotzi going against Bailey with EO in Bailey's corner. The condition was if Shotzi was going to win this match, he would take Bailey's spot in the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match. That did not happen. Bailey would win the match by pinfall thanks to EO Sky interfering. When EO would hit Bailey with slice bread number two and went for the pin, EO would put Bailey's foot on the bottom rope. Now the ref would see this. Shotzi would get pissed at EO. Shotzi would go over and grab EO by the hair. Uh, the ref would pull Shotzi off of EO. This will allow Bailey to gouge the eyes of Shotzi and then hit her with a rose plant to pin her and win the match and retain her spot in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Now, next up was the Grayson Waller effect with his special guest, Logan Paul. Logan Paul's whole point of being out here was saying that he's going to win the Money in the Bank ladder match, grab the briefcase, cash it in on either Seth or Roman. Then LA Knight will come out with, I would say, probably the biggest pop of the night. Yes, beating Roman Reigns and beating even the Usos. Logan Paul's... <laughs> arch nemesis at this time right now la knight will come out with the biggest pop la knight will get cheered so much by the people la knight will have the people say his name proving that he is a megastar then santos escobar will come out and he will talk about how their bickering could lead to him winning the money in the bank contract then butch will come to the ring and butch would just start fighting butch would aim directly towards logan as santos and knight would go against one another We'll go to commercial break, and when we come back, we will have a triple threat match between Knight, Santos Escobar, and Butch, with Logan Paul being at ringside. Uh, Butch would win the match by pinfall, using the bitter end on Santos to win the match. Now, after the match, Butch will get a ladder, set it up in the middle of the ring. Butch will start to climb it. LA Knight will grab Butch, throw him out of the ring. Knight will start to climb the ladder. Logan will come in, throw Knight into the ring post. Then Logan will start to climb. Butch will come in the ring, throw Logan out of the ring. Butch will climb up the ladder successfully, unclip the Money in the Bay briefcase, and this could be a symbolism, or this could be what we see at Money in the Bank if Butch happens to win said ladder match. Now, next up was the WWE Women's Championship match. Charlotte Flair going against the champion Asuka. Bianca Belair will be in front row, just antagonizing both Charlotte and and Asuka, since Adam Pearce barred her from ringside, Bianca found a loophole. That's the reason why she's sitting in front row, because she bought a ticket. Now, Asuka will win the match by disqualification when Charlotte and Asuka were fighting outside of the ring. Bianca will continue to flaunt that she has a ticket when Charlotte was next to Bianca and Asuka was next to Bianca. Charlotte will look to hit Asuka with a big boot. Oscar will pull Bianca in, so Charlotte would hit Bianca. Now, this will lead to Bianca leaping the barricade, going after Oscar and attacking her. This will make the referee call for the bell for disqualification. Now, after the match, Charlotte would get at Bianca. Bianca would tell Charlotte to stop getting in her face. When Charlotte didn't heed to Bianca's warning, Bianca would forearm Charlotte. Then Charlotte would return fire. Now you get both of these ladies going at it. Charlotte would send Bianca into the steel steps. Charlotte would look to spear Bianca into the steps, but Bianca would move and Charlotte would eat the steps. Now, Bianca would go after Asuka 
hit Asuka with the KOD on the commentary table. The table didn't break. Now you have Asuka laying on the table. Bianca would then go and grab Charlotte and then hit Charlotte with the KOD on the table on top of Asuka. And Bianca would just be the last woman standing on top of the table. Now, the match was not made nowhere official. So we don't see Asuka, Charlotte, or even uh, Bianca having a triple threat for the Women's Championship at Money in the Bank. But I do not think that they won't have it next week at Madison Square Garden. They probably might do it next week. I think they should, but time will tell. Now, after this, it's time for the big uh, showdown between Roman Reigns, Solo, and the Usos because this is their final meeting before their match at Money in the Bank. Roman will go all narcissist and claim that he is the only guy that has brought the Usos into the promised land. He gave them the spotlight to become the greatest tag team. And he is the only one that is willing to give his cousins a second chance. The only thing they have to do is come to the ring, get on their knees, beg for forgiveness, and give Roman an apology and acknowledge him as their chief. The Usos will come out and tell Roman that they are going to try to get back in the bloodline because that's not what they want. As a matter of fact, they say that they've been talking with family and that Roman needs to think about what's going to happen when he loses. Because when he loses, he's going to be out. He's the only person that's going to be out. And then you will see Jay and Jimmy talk about head of the table, saying that they don't want to be the head of the table. And that they know a guy that can easily replace Roman and be the head. And they will say, even though he's tripping right now, they know that they give their votes and they look at Solo. So now the crowd is cheering on. We all know what they're trying to do. The Usos are trying to get Solo to turn on Roman and get Solo to believe that he could be the next tribal chief. Roman would see this and at first he laughs because this is a laughable idea. And then you just start seeing Solo start uncrossing his arms and then look at Roman. Roman starts stops his laughing and he looks at Solo. Then he quickly gets back into the whole form of telling the Usos to shut up. They need to stop playing around. And then you see Jay get on the ring apron. He throws his mic down. Roman throws his mic down. You get Roman and Jay get face to face. Roman is starting to push up on Jay saying, what, you big man now? You trying to get up here? You going to do something? You're not going to do nothing. You're going to fall in line. Jay would smush Roman. And then Roman would eat a super kick from Jimmy. Now all hell breaks loose because Solo starts jumping in. The Usos jumping in on uh, Solo. Solo would get Jimmy out of the ring. Now it's Jimmy and Solo doing their battle outside of the ring. Jay gets on Roman in the ring. And Roman would hit Jay with a Superman punch. Then you see everybody start coming out. You see backstage officials. You see referees come out. You see security come out to try to separate everyone. Uh, Roman would leave the ring, pull security off of Solo, who's still battling with Jimmy, he would get on Jimmy, beat up on Jimmy a little bit. Jay would fly out of the ring, jump onto Roman, Solo, and Jimmy. And SmackDown would end with Jimmy and Jay standing tall as a big heap of guys are just laying on the ground. Now, this is going to lead everybody into going to watch Money in the Bank, see what's going to happen when the bloodline finally implodes in a match formation style. So that's what this final confrontation has been building up for 
And me being a viewer, I can't wait to see what's going to happen because there's a lot of possibilities of what could happen. But I'll give you that in a minute after I get done with AEW Rampage. And speaking of that, AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a Ring of Honor Championship matchup. Claudio Castagnoli, the champion, going against Challenger Commander with Alex Abrahantes in this corner. Claudio would win the match by referee stoppage when Commander would look to hit a crossbody off the top turnbuckle. Claudio would catch Commander with an uppercut, and this will lay Commander out. The referee will look at Commander, trying to get him to communicate. He couldn't do so, so the referee would call for the match off. And to be honest, Commander had a good match with Claudio to open up Rampage fast-paced. It was very much your... 2000-esque independent match of Claudio going against a speedy type guy. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you get more of that, but again, Claudio still reigns as Ring of Honor champion. Next matchup was the Blade with the Butcher in his corner going against Sean Spears. Sean will win the match by pinfall by hitting the C4, which is a Death Valley driver on the Blade for the win. Solid match. Next matchup, tag team match. Johnny TV and QT Marshall with Harley Cameron in their corner going against Isaiah Cassidy and Matt Hardy who had Ethan Page in their corner. QT and Johnny TV would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Harley Cameron. When Isaiah was on the top rope, Harley would get on the apron and distract Isaiah. This will allow QT to push Isaiah off the turnbuckle. This allowed Johnny to then hit Starship Payne on Isaiah to win the match for their team. After the match, Johnny and QT will look like they're going to attack Matt Hardy, but Ethan would come in and stop them, saying, you guys won the match, that's enough. Then you start seeing Johnny and QT start antagonizing Ethan. Ethan would throw his shirt at Johnny. He would punch QT in the face. Ethan would then eat a super kick from Johnny TV. And then now you start seeing Ethan get beat up by Johnny and QT until Anthony Bowens and Billy Gunn would run down to ring to make the save. Johnny and QT would retreat to the back. So we have that here. Ethan Page is sticking up to his side of the deal that he works for Matt Hardy, that he's going to do whatever Matt tells him to do. And Matt is telling Ethan that he has to be by his side. He has to save them if they're going to get beat up and that Ethan's fulfilling his obligations. And I like that because I like Ethan Page. I hope we see a lot of him on TV as well. Ethan's one of those guys that... I feel he could add so much to whatever program, whatever storyline he's in, in that him working with the Hardys, that has a shelf life that's going to run its course. I'm just waiting for what they're going to have planned for Ethan in 2024, because right now in 2023, they have nothing for him. Yeah, cool. He's with the Hardys, but after that, what do you have planned for him? I don't know. I want him to get back with Scorpio Sky so they can continue their... Uh, men of the year stuff because that stuff was great but we'll have to wait with that and also their theme was a banger and again i have to wait and see what they're going to do with that and also i'm waiting for my mark uh quinn to come back so him and isaiah can team up and private party can dominate the tag team division the way they were supposed to when aew first started but again we'll have to wait for that also, another thing that I did notice, I'm not certain if QT is still with Powerhouse, or to be frank, if Powerhouse wants to still be with QT. I think that's ran its course, and since Johnny TV is now in AEW, seeing those two together as a team, I think that works. I like the team, at least appearance, of the two. 
So hopefully they keep that up. And also they claim with uh, doing this with Johnny TV, QT Marshall, it just gives the claim to do something until they want to do something else with them. But that's all I'm getting out of this situation. So a big hodgepodge of things coming together, at least trying to. Now off to your main event, Hikaru Shida going against Taya Valkyrie. Shida would win the match by pinfall when she reversed to Road to Valhalla and get her into a cradle pin for the win. Sheeta and Taya, they had a good match. I'm glad to see Sheeta back on TV. Again, that's another one that should be on TV a lot. But right now, we're building the Outcast. We're building their whole deal. We're building Sky Blue as uh, one of the top prospects that's gone through the mud and now trying to be on main roster, getting TV time. I understand what they're doing with her, but I just want them to splash in Sheeta from time to time to let people still know that Sheeta is still here. She is still one of the focal points of the women's division. That's all I care about. And also, Taya, she still has her beef with Chris Statlander. So let's hope they continue that on as well. But anywho, with that all being said, that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, it's time for me to give you guys my Money in the Bank predictions. Over here in America, on the East Coast, it starts at 3 o'clock. Over on the West Coast, it starts at 12 uh, p.m., so, I know I'm going to be watching it. I don't know what the time it starts over there in England, but Money in the Bank, I'm going to be watching. But anyway, getting to the point. Men's Money in the Bank. Ricochet, Nakamura, LA Knight, Santos, Butch, Damian Priest, Logan Paul. I am hoping LA Knight wins it because LA Knight is getting the biggest cheers out of all the men in this ring or well, in that matchup. So, I'm going with LA Knight. I'm just going to leave it right there. If it's not LA Knight, my second pick, to be honest, is Ricochet. Damian Priest, they're going to do something with him. I don't know. I think he can get up there without the uh, Money in the Bank contract, to be honest. Ricochet, he's a guy that I feel that needs it because he has everything for a human highlight reel, but he just needs that little ingredient to push him to the main event to make him that main event guy. And I think with the Money in the Bank briefcase, they could do so. But again, Ricochet is my second pick. LA Knight's my first. No disrespect to Damien. That's just me keeping it real. Women's Money in the Bank. We have Selena Vega, Becky Lynch, Zoe Starks, Bailey, EO, Trish. I'm hoping that EO wins because EO should be start challenging for the women's championships, whether it's on Raw or SmackDown. That's what she should be challenging for. And if not her, I can see Bailey winning it and doing a scummy job of costing EO to win the briefcase for herself. So either member of damage control, but uh EO's first, Bailey second. Um the main event of Money in the Bank, which they say is gonna be the main event. I don't see how, but we'll see. Cody versus Dominic. Uh I go with Dominic on this because they're setting up something for Cody at SummerSlam. We haven't seen Brock since um Night of Champions at Saudi Arabia, so I think Brock's going to be here to disrupt that match and cost Cody the win against Dominic, so Dominic winning that. Seth versus Finn for the World Heavyweight Championship. I say Seth's going to retain the World Heavyweight Championship, but I wouldn't be mad if Finn Balor wins it here, because if Finn wins it, I think we're going to do the rematch at SummerSlam, seven years in the making, Seth versus Finn, where the first injury first happened between both of the guys, so if they do go with Finn, I wouldn't be mad at it, but I think Seth's 
retaining his uh, World Heavyweight Championship here. Uh, Ronda and Shayna going against Liv and Raquel for the Women's Tag Team Championship. I think they're going to keep it on Ronda and Shayna because Ronda and Shayna just unified the belts, what, two weeks ago, if not two weeks, last week. And now they're going against Liv and Raquel for the championships. I think Ronda and Shayna are going to retain and they're going to make Liv tap out and they'll probably get booed out of the building for it. Gunther versus Matt Riddle for the kind of championship. Gunther's going to retain it. I don't see Gunther dropping it to Matt Riddle. I don't. So Gunther retaining the belt. Now, in my opinion, what should be the main event, the Civil War tag team matchup between Roman and Solo going against the Usos because there's so many possibilities, so many outcomes that you could do with this. But for me, I don't see them having Roman lose here. If they have Roman lose here, I would be shocked, but I don't think so. I think Roman and Solo are going to win, even with the uh, fracture that the Usos are trying to put in between Roman and Solo. I think that's uh, going to play a part, but I think Roman's going to slap Solo some sense and make Solo realize that he is a tribal chief and make Solo realize that there's going to be a different time to turn on Roman, and I think right now is not the perfect time. I think they're going to wait for a more opportune time. So I think Roman and Solo are going to beat the Usos. But if they decide for the Usos to beat Roman, I'll be happy. If they have Roman and Solo lose, I want someone to beat Roman. Not pin Solo, have Solo be the fall guy. No. Have Jay Uso, and I'm being specific here when I say this. Have Jay Uso pin Roman and have that place go bonkers. Because we all want Jay to be the one to dethrone Roman. If they don't have anybody else to do it, Having Jay the throne Roman, that's going to feel great. That's going to give people a good uh, balance for paying attention to that whole bloodline storyline. But we'll have to wait and see if they decide to go that route and give the Usos the win. But again, my pick, I think they're going to have Roman and uh, Solo beat the Usos. Now, having said all that, that is your Money in the Bank predictions. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I just want to let you guys know that you guys will be getting Money in the Bank review tomorrow as well as my Sunday episode. So two episodes uh, on a Sunday tomorrow, you'll be getting that. As well as if you did not listen to my midweek episode, it's still out right now. You can listen to that as well. But with that, all self-promotion out of the way. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be safe. It is your 4th of July weekend. I hope you guys are able to sit out with your people and uh, relax and barbecue if you're in a safe environment to do so but other than that just enjoy your time with your people if you have people around and uh, make calls with them if you're not around to check in on them now with that this has been wrestling highlights of the week you'll hear from me again saturday if you care about wrestling or tomorrow if you want to just know what i think about money in the bank now having said all that also i want to say if you want the music that you're listening to right now this is from little uzi verse newest album um, on that album, he has a song called Nakamura, and as you can tell, he used Shinsuke Nakamura's theme in the album, so if you want to listen to that, do that as well. But now, with that, all that being said, I love you all, I thank you, I'll see you guys later. I don't care about these new rappers, I'm a fire.